Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Take your Bibles, if you would, please, and open up to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew, if you would. Chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, we're going to look at verses 41 through 46 this morning, preaching to you on the topic, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Christ. Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 through 46 reads this way, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them saying, what think ye of Christ, whose son is he? Then they say unto him, The son of David. He saith unto them, How then doth David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to be able to be here, and we thank you for the service to this point. And, and Father, I do pray that you would work in and through me and that your word would go forth. We know that it will never return void. For your word tells us that. We know that your word is powerful. So, Father, I pray that I would not be a hindrance to the word. But Father, I pray that I would just be the mouthpiece. And Lord, I ask that your grace would work in and through us. And if there is anyone here this morning that does not know you as their personal Savior, we would ask, Lord, that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would come into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us and help us to carry this message with us throughout the week. I ask you for it. In thy name I pray. I love you. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Have you ever asked yourself how many questions there are in the English language? Well, when it said here that they didn't ask him any more questions, I looked up. How many questions are there in the English language? Because it seems like if you have children, they're always asking a question. And what's the one question that a child always asks? Why? 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 But I looked up to see how many questions there were in the English language, and the response that Google gave me, because Google knows all, the response that Google gave me was an infinite multitude. Well, yeah, I guess there's no number of questions that could be asked. But then I looked up and I said, all right, what are the most important questions that a person can ask? And it narrowed it down to 21. The most important questions that somebody can ask, 21 questions that you ought to ask yourself. The sad reality is that not one of them had to do with your spiritual life and not one of them had to do with Jesus Christ. 
In the top 21 questions that somebody could ask, you go to Google and you, you find that on there, and it had nothing to do, it had to do with your career, it had to do with people that you interact with, it had to do with family, and, and they're all important questions, sure. But the most important question is, who is Jesus Christ? That's the most important question that anybody could ever ask. Who is Jesus Christ? See, because your answer to that determines your eternal destiny. Who you say that he is, and, and if you believe in him, will, will, will determine where you and I will spend eternity. You know, there have been many that have given their opinion of the Lord Jesus Christ and of who he was or who they thought he was or is. Let me read some of those to you. Mahatma Gandhi says about Jesus Christ, the man who was completely innocent offered himself as a sacrifice for the good of others, including his enemies, and became the ransom of the world. It was a perfect act. Napoleon Bonaparte, I have known men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour... Millions of men would die for him. Albert Einstein. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. John Lennon. I believe in God, but not as one thing, not as an old man in the sky. I believe that what people call God is something in all of us. I believe that what Jesus and Muhammad and Buddha and all the rest said was right. It is just that the translations have gone wrong. The Dalai Lama. Jesus Christ also lived previous lives, he said. So, so you see, he reached a high state or an enlightened person through Buddhist practice or something like that. Then at a certain period, a certain era, he appeared as a new master and then because of circumstances, he taught certain views different from Buddhism, but he also taught the same religious values as I mentioned earlier. Be patient, be tolerant, be compassionate. This is, you see, the real message in order to become a better human being. Richard Dawkins. Oh, but of course the story of Adam and Eve was only ever symbolic, wasn't it? Symbolic? So Jesus had himself tortured and executed for a symbolic sin by a non-existent individual? Nobody not brought up in the faith could reach any verdict other than barking mad. Ralph Waldo Emerson. The unique impression of Jesus upon mankind, whose name is not so much written as plowed into, history, uh, as plowed into the history of the world, is proof of the subtle virtue of, his, of this infusion. Jesus belonged to the race of the prophets. He saw with open eyes the mystery of the soul. 
One man was true to what is in you and me. He, as I think, is the only soul in history who has appreciated the worth of man. Though some of these opinions of Jesus are favorable opinions, a favorable opinion of Jesus does not make one a Christian. See, most of these people did not see Jesus as the Christ, but as a good man, maybe even a religious genius, but still a mere man. And this morning, who is Jesus Christ? Well, we would differ with many of these and others today that Jesus was just a mere man. We believe that Jesus was and is more than a man. See, what we have done as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we have drawn the red line in the sand on the issue of Jesus' divinity, if Jesus is not divine, then we are, as Paul said, to be pitied and most miserable of all people, for our faith is in vain. Our faith is empty. If we were to just look at Jesus this morning, as you look at me, and as I look at you as a mere human being, then we might as well close up shop this morning and go home. Because there's no reason for us to gather here. There's no reason to sing the songs that we just sung. There's no reason to go out and to witness to a lost and dying world if Jesus Christ is just a mere man. Because that means that he has the same sinful nature as I have. See, your belief and my belief about who Jesus is should have a direct impact on the way that you live. If you truly believe something, it will affect the way that you live. How many of you, maybe in the service, how many of you have ever uh, jumped out of an airplane? You've jumped out of an airplane. You've done skydiving. Okay, so we got a couple, couple people that have done that. How many of you, I think there were three of you that raised your hand. How many of you that jumped out of the airplane did it without a parachute? Anybody? Why? Because there's a law, isn't there? There's a law called gravity. See, I'm not afraid of falling. I'm just afraid of the impact. So therefore, because you believe in the law of gravity, it affects the way that you live. See, when we truly believe something, it will affect our life. The reason that anybody with any common sense, number one, I do question folks, and I love you folks that jumped out of an airplane, but I do question people that jump out of an airplane. <laughs> I don't even believe it's biblical. <laughs> Jesus says, lo, I am with you, always. So if you're 10,000 feet in the air, I don't know if Jesus is with you any longer. <laughs> so if we believe something, it's going to affect our life. 
it will affect the way that we live. So let me ask you something. Is Jesus the Messiah affecting your life? Uh, yeah, well, of course, Pastor, I'm saved. I, I, know, I know that I'm saved. No, I didn't ask you if you were saved. I asked you, is Jesus the Messiah? Not just a historical figure. Jesus the Messiah affecting your life daily. Guess what? Gravity affects your life daily. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, ought to affect your life on a daily basis. The Pharisees were gathered together in their proverbial religious huddle after Jesus had just put them to shame. You know, this is Passion Week here. Jesus is getting ready to die in two days. This is Wednesday. And Jesus had just embarrassed the Pharisees, embarrassed the Sadducees, and then embarrassed the Pharisees again. They weren't the sharpest group. And he was asked three times three different questions. Now Jesus goes on the offensive. I want you to take a look, number one, if you're taking notes, a question for you. He asked the Pharisees a question in verse 42 of Matthew chapter 22. He says, so what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, the son of David. You know what they're basically asking? They're saying, what Jewish line is the Messiah a descendant from? Though this question was initially directed at the Pharisees, it's a question that all men must answer, what do you think of Christ this morning? He's saying, he's saying, what's your opinion of Christ? Do you believe this morning that Christ is divine? You say, well, pastor, you're preaching to the choir. I understand that Christ is divine. That if he's divine, do you believe that he's all-powerful? Yes, he is all-powerful. Then why are you worried about your circumstances this morning? The divinity of Christ ought to be affecting your life. Then, then why are you worried about your finances this morning? I, I mean, if Jesus really is the Christ, then, then, then why are you concerned about those relationships this morning? Why are you fretting over them? Why, why are you, you are consumed with them? Why couldn't you, you praise the Lord just a few minutes ago? Be, uh, you couldn't sing out truly with a, a joyful heart because your whole life is just consumed with all that's going here. And I understand that sometimes uh, things affect us, but guess what? This morning we can bring it to Jesus the Christ and he can put a joy in our hearts that no man understands. He can give us a peace that passes all understanding. It doesn't matter what the trials may be, no matter how great they are, and they're real, they are real. But Jesus, the divine, the Messiah, is bigger than those trials. So I've got a question for you this morning. What's your opinion of Jesus? But number two, there was an incomplete answer. See, their answer was incomplete because they didn't know Jesus the Messiah. They said he's the son of David. That's true. That's true. He is the son of David. But it's incomplete. He's so much more than the son of David. Their answer was not wrong. 
but it's incomplete. You know, so many times today, there are a lot of people in this world that give incomplete answers of the Lord Jesus Christ, of who he is. Some say Jesus was a good man. Was he a good man? Of course he was. He was the, the best of men. They say Jesus was a virtuous man. He lived a virtuous life. Is that true about Jesus? Yes, of course. He lived a perfect life. They say that Jesus taught the ways of God. Just like Moses and just like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Obadiah and Habakkuk. Did he teach the ways of God? Yes, he did. They say Jesus was a great social worker. He cared for the needs of the poor. Is that true about Jesus that he cared for the needs of the poor? Well, of course it is. Some say that Jesus lived a life of humility, and he did. Not only of humility, but really of obscurity. He came from really a nowhere town, and nobody really knew him. And he did live a life of humility. But folks, he's so much more than that. See, all these statements of Jesus are true, but they are, they're incomplete. They said that he was the son of David. But see, the reason that it's incomplete is because the Jews were convinced that the Messiah was no more than mere man. See, the only identity of the Messiah that the Jews took seriously was that of being the son of David. They looked at the Messiah as being a human nationalistic liberator. They wanted Jesus or whoever the Messiah would be to liberate them from the Roman government. And so they only saw Jesus as a mere man. See, and so many times they wanted out from underneath their oppression and so many times, though we who are Christians know that Jesus is more than a mere man, you know what we look at? We are no different than the Pharisees. We just look at Jesus as our get-out-of-jail ticket. Amen. Just get me out of the situation that I'm in. Let me punch the card. I see you as my liberator, but how about do I see you as my savior? Do I see you as the rose of Sharon? Do I see you as the bright morning star? Do I see that your mercies are new? It says every day. That means on good days and that means on bad days that his mercies are new every morning. Do I see Jesus that way or, or am I just going to him with a laundry list of all these things that I've got to get him to take care of instead of worshiping him for the God of who he is. And I'm not saying it's not wrong to take your laundry list to Jesus because when you come to Jesus, you're coming to a king and the one that can take care of that laundry list. But let me tell you something. If you're just going to God with just a laundry list, you're missing out. You're missing out. See, the reason that these folks here didn't recognize that, 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 the message, that their, their uh, answer was incomplete is because they did not recognize Jesus as the Messiah. I'd like you to turn to Psalm chapter 89. The Messiah was a unique descendant from the line of David. And there are many scripture, por portions of Scripture that speak to the unique descendant of David. And we find it in Psalm chapter 89. 
Take a look at verse 3, if you would, please. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn unto David my servant. Thy seed will I establish forever and build up thy throne to all generations. Take a look at verse 20. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil have I anointed him. With whom my hand shall be established, mine arm also shall strengthen him. Take a look at verse 24. But my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. Take a look at verse 27. Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forever, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his thrones as the days of heaven. Yes, this was referencing David, but it had to be more than David. David was just a picture. It was a typology of the Messiah. This is what it's going to look like. Take a look at Ezekiel, if you would, please. Ezekiel chapter 37, we see this here. In verse 21, who is Jesus to you? They gave an incomplete answer. Ezekiel chapter 37 and verse 21. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whether they be gone, and I will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in a land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all, and they shall no more be two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all, neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions, but I will save them out of all their dwelling places, wherein they have sinned, and I will cleanse them, so shall they be my people, and I will be their God, and David my servant shall be king over them, and they, they all shall have one shepherd they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell on the land that I have given unto Jacob my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. What it's talking about here is the millennial kingdom and, and into eternity that Jesus Christ is the greater son of David that will rule an everlasting kingdom. Now we've got to remember what? Matthew is trying to show us what? Jesus as king. That's what Matthew teaches us. It's revealing Jesus as king and though the title of Son of David is true about Jesus, it is far too limited. Let me ask you a question this morning. What limits are you putting on Christ this morning? What's your hashtag? Okay. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, hashtag, but I've got this issue. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, hashtag, finances. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, hashtag health issues. Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ, hashtag you fill in the blank. Sometimes we limit the divine one in our own life. See, listen, folks. It's not that Jesus is limited. It's that we limit Jesus. Say, can you do that? The Bible tells me that when Jesus was on earth, that he could not do many miracles in certain places. Why? Because of their un. 
belief. They limited the divine. Jesus isn't going to force himself on you. He's not going to force himself for you to trust him, for you to believe him. You say, well, if God would just give me a sign in heaven, if he would just give me something. He has given you a sign. It's called his word. We trust everybody else's word, but his. His word is perfect. How many times has somebody contradicted themselves in their words? But we'll still believe them. Or you you ever have to go back and say, oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Do you know God has never had to go back to anybody and say, by the way, I'm sorry, I misspoke, I need to correct that. See, I wonder as believers, when we don't take God at his word, how we're limiting him. I'd like you to see number three this morning. A reality that we must all recognize. A reality you must recognize. Verses 30, uh, 43 through 45, the Bible says, He saith unto them, How then doth David in his spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, till I make thine enemies thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? Turn over to Psalm 110, because this is exactly where Jesus is quoting from. He's quoting from Psalm chapter 110. This verse in the Old Testament is the most frequently quoted in the New Testament. Psalm chapter 110 and verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Now remember, we're talking about a a reality you must recognize. Jesus here, just by quoting this, he accepts the Davidic authority of this psalm. He accepts that David wrote this psalm. As a matter of fact, in some of your Bibles this morning, you might find where it talks, where it says underneath the, the title of the psalm, does it say a psalm of David? How many of you have that? You got that in your Bible? A psalm of David, right. So Jesus accepts the Davidic authority that, that it was written by David. And to be honest with you, nobody in the first century would have debated that. Jesus also accepts that David wrote this psalm underneath the leadership of the Spirit of God. He accepts that this psalm is inspired. See, the Greek phrase, in the Spirit, is the same that is used by John in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. And it says in there, when he was on the island of Patmos, when he was on the island of Patmos there, getting this vision, it says, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. It's the same phrase that's being used in the Hebrew when you transliterate that into the Greek. It's the same phrase that's being used. So just as John was in the Spirit being moved by God, David was in the Spirit, if you will, being moved by God. And it has to do with that he was underneath the control of the Holy Spirit. Maybe some might hear today will say, no, no, David was underneath the Referring to the human spirit uh, here. The Bible is referring to the human spirit of David. Turn over to Mark chapter 12. I want you to see something here. Because Mark debunks that. No, David was in the spirit. He was being controlled by the spirit. He was underneath the inspiration of the Holy Ghost when he penned this poem, this song. Take a look at Mark chapter 12 and verse 36. 
For David himself said by the Holy Ghost. It doesn't say, for David himself said by himself. No, it says, for David himself said by the Holy Ghost. The Lord said to my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. See, so Mark's account of this situation rules out the possibility that Jesus was referring to David's human spirit. So Jesus accepts that David wrote the psalm. Jesus accepts that uh, David was underneath the leadership of the Holy Spirit when he wrote this psalm. And Jesus also considers this psalm to be messianic. It teaches something about the Messiah who would come in time. Now listen, all of this, what I just gave you, some of that history and some of that background, all of this would be common ground between Jesus and the Pharisees. A Pharisee would not debate any one of those three arguments right there. They would agree. They'd have no problem whatsoever. But now Jesus draws the attention to something else. He draws the attention to the truth that David was speaking here about the Messiah. The issue comes when David calls the Messiah Lord, which shows that David is showing his own inferiority to the Messiah. See, David is addressing the Messiah as his Lord. So if David, Jesus is saying, so if David calls the Messiah's Lord, does this not imply that the Messiah is more than a mere human descendant of David? Yes. See, David is recording a prophecy of the greatest of his descendants, whom he recognizes as greater than himself. See, there's also some cultural things here. Jesus was declaring the Messiah's deity, and David was declaring the Messiah's deity. It's the Messiah who sits on the right hand of God. This is a place recognized by any Jew. It's a a designation of co-equal rank and authority. It's a place of continual exaltation. And Jesus was showing that the Messiah was going to be brought into a place of equality with God in honor and in power and in glory. Now comes the question that the Pharisees could not answer. Verse 45, take a look. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? David recognizes the Messiah as his Lord. Now comes the culture, culture, cultural aspect of this. I got ahead of myself. What's the cultural aspect? Not only was there the prophetic aspect, and, and, but what's the cultural aspect? In this society, if you were to study this society, the way that they operated it was held that the family, that the family, in the family, the father was the great person. And it was automatic that his sons were less significant than he. And in a society that held this view, the great King David was held to be certainly greater than any of his descendants. So because the society looked at the father as the great person in the family, the sons as less, that type of thinking and, and society structure, one would look at David as the greatest of all his descendants. 
But what happens? If the Messiah was going to be among those descendants, then of course the Pharisees would think, of course, that the Messiah was inferior to David. But David speaks as the Messiah as his Lord, which means the Messiah must be greater than David. See, we've got to realize and recognize this truth, not just here, but here, that Jesus the divine is greater than all. He is greater than all. There is, there is no one upon the face of the earth that is co-equal with Christ. Amen. There is no one that is co-eternal like Christ. No one. If this is true, which it is, how is that belief affecting your life? I mean, because if you really believe something, it's going to affect the way that you live. If Jesus is more than a mere man. Take a look, verse 46, we see number four, wrong response. No man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man from that day forth ask him any more questions. I sometimes wonder if Jesus did that. <sighs> Religious leaders of that day tried to put Jesus to the test and embarrass him and discredit him and destroy him. They put questions to him. I just wonder sometimes if Jesus went, <sighs> okay, guys, let's go over this again. And each of the attempts that they tried to discredit Jesus, they were, they were put to shame. After hearing Jesus' response to the questions they proposed to him, it was probably, probably we might believe that there might have been some, there might have been some later on that actually accepted and believed in Jesus. But on that day, there was a wrong response. On that day, they had no more questions for Jesus. They stopped asking questions. Jesus proved that day that the Messiah was divine. And Mark tells us that even the people even enjoyed hearing what Jesus had to say. But just because you may enjoy a message or hearing things about God doesn't make one a Christian. The sad reality of that day was that the religious leaders were dumbfounded, but they were not convicted. They were shut up, but they were not convinced. They were humiliated, but refused to be humbled. They left unbelieving. What was the problem? It's the problem for everybody today. Self-righteousness. It's their self-righteousness that kept them from believing the truth about Jesus Christ. This morning, friends, self-righteousness is the enemy of the gospel. It will keep people from heaven, and it rushes people into hell this morning. There are people today who are like the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and they refuse to believe the truth of God's Word. 
I do believe this morning that there are many in the building that believe that Jesus is the Christ. But let me ask you again, how is it affecting your life? And whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. How is Jesus the divine, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Savior of the world, Jesus God in the flesh affecting you on a daily basis? Or is this just something that we do instead of something of who we are? See, if you really believe something, it'll affect the way that you live. Guess what? It'll affect your time. I don't have time to read the Bible or pray, Pastor. I'm just too busy. You don't understand. I'm a businessman. I got things to do. If Jesus really is the divine Messiah, then it'll affect your time. How is Jesus, the Messiah, who is exalted with all power and glory and honor, affecting your thought life? How does the truth that Jesus is God exalted with all power, glory, and honor affect the way that you handle problems? How does the truth that Jesus is God exalted with all power, glory, and honor affect the way that you witness? How does the truth that Jesus is God exalted with all power, glory, and honor affect your finances? See, what we really believe about Jesus will affect the way that we live. Folks, the world doesn't need to hear about how, from your mouth, how Jesus is divine Now, in this context. They, they don't need to hear about how Jesus is the Savior. They don't need to hear about how Jesus is God who walked in the flesh. In this context, they need to see it in your life. We can talk a good talk, but we need to walk the walk. Christianity was first start, not calling Christians. We were called the way. What does it mean? It means the way that we live, the way that we walk, the way that we go. We're following someone else. It's not our life, for we are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your spirit and in your body, right? Why? Because Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is divine. Jesus is God in the flesh, and he rules and reigns. There are a lot of professors out there, but not many possessors. How is Christ affecting your life?